All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Eichbrett, and joined with me is the captain, Mr. Andy Full. What's going on, dude? Oh, you know, just uh, hanging out, starting to feel a little better. Monday, I was really under the weather. Tuesday, basically slept all day. Same thing as yesterday. I was I actually felt so sick that I got COVID tested because I was like, oh, maybe I got the bug. But here we are, no COVID, and went fishing today. Like, snap of a finger, healthy and feeling much better. So now ready to go catch some giant smallmouth. What's going on with you? You're, you're probably just so worn out from putting Joe LaBarbera on all of those dang steelhead. <laughs> that that was a lot of fun. Um going into the day with Joe because he's fished the center pin one time in his life the day before. And um, he mastered it quite quickly. He was able to cast really well. So, like, I taught him – I told him what to do, and he's like, oh, the next cast perfect. I was like, you're the man. Like, I don't even have to work. Like, go catch them. <laughs> Yeah, I heard all about it. He uh, he called me on his way home. Oh, he's pretty much madly in love with Andrew Full, and now he can't wait can't wait to get back up in Buffalo for more trips. <laughs> it's fun, yeah. He and he didn't even get to go to like a good creek, so because everything was blown out, so I took him just to like a community hole, Snag City Fest area, and they stuck a few, a couple good ones too. So it was a good time. Heck yeah. Well, you got to be excited for today's show then because our special guest, Mr. Mark Hortz, seems to be guiding for anything that lives beyond people. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be bad if he was guiding people, right? <laughs> you never know, dude. There's some underground stuff. I mean, Mark is one of the more interesting people I've met throughout my travels, and I would not put it past him for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so you're calling him a cannibal. Like, <laughs> I didn't say he eats them, but I wouldn't say he's probably too shy to shoot at somebody. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, that's but uh, on that note, yeah, we have uh, our good friend, Mr. Mark Quartz here, NWT Pro. And uh, don't put the uh, the walleye label past him because about if it swims, the dude's going to catch it. And he's going to be very good at catching him. Yes. So we're pretty excited to get him on here and talk about how uh, kind of on the concept of be you know if you focus on multi-species if you're well versed in catching different species uh does that help you in each you know avenue that you go down like say you want to be a bass fisherman does it help you to go be well versed in crappie or bluegill or walleye i think that's gonna be a cool topic to go down especially because you're well versed in steelhead and smallmouth well just bass in general and i'd like to see if there's any correlation between that because for me dude like, you know me, I'm straight 100% bass. I am like, if I go for any other species, it's maybe like two days out of the year. Mm -hmm. And if it's another species beyond bass, it's probably because it has antlers. And that's about the only other animal that I chase. Or coyotes. Or coyotes. I've heard some, some <laughs> Those are always fun to chase too. Yeah. But uh, no, we're, I'm pretty excited for this episode because it's going to be kind of all over the place. But I think that on the fact of being well-versed as an outdoorsman, it's going to be kind of cool to see the correlation and just kind of your success in your endeavors, really. Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to this one. So, um, yeah. but real quick answer, do I think that all the species kind of correlate to each other? Yes, because steelhead fishing has made me an incredibly better smallmouth angler. So, Heck yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to get into that. But before we do really fast um, for the folks listening... You guys have until now, until November 14th, we're running that special right now with Hobie Eyewear to get 35% off. 
The link is down in the description, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on MP3. We have the link to go right to the website and use code SERIOUS35. And uh, it's a pretty cool stocking stuffer to get some damn good shades for pretty cheap. So check them out. And uh, we have some Christmas giveaway stuff in the works. Actually, Andy and I hopefully are planning to do some filming this weekend. That's going to be, I think it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'll, I'll leave it at that. And hopefully you guys enjoy that. I, just a quick takeaway for those guys watching on YouTube, for everyone watching on YouTube. The theme is uh, our background here. So just think jolly spirits. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll leave it at that. Either way, it's going to be an absolute riot. Uh, and I hope you guys will enjoy it. But, but, dude, I think without further ado, we should bring our guest down here. Yeah, let's get uh, Mark on here. All right. Mr. Mark Hortz, what's going on, dude? Hey, what's going on, everybody? Well, we're glad we finally uh, we got some time to sit down with you and talk fishing because uh, from the sounds of it, it barely seems like you're home at all. Yeah, I'm not home very often. I got done with the last regular season tournament, filmed a TV show, um, smallmouth fishing up on Mille Lacs Lake, which was just absolutely incredible. Caught some really big fish with in fishermen and then left right away to go to South Dakota and, and do some guiding, some pheasant hunts and had a lot of fun doing that. Even got snuck in last Sunday shooting a few coyotes. So, um, yeah, we don't we don't mess around this time of year. It's fall, and fishing season's over. I I do my work when I get free days and get my contracts done and boats ordered and things like that. But then it's hunting season, and I'll go until I take off for Florida, like the 18th of uh, December, and I'll head down to the Florida Keys and get lines wet again. Awesome. Are we talking like tarpon or what, what are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, we, we chase everything. Uh, on the Atlantic side, we're chasing sailfish, tuna, wahoo, um, some, uh, and then on the Gulf side, it's definitely tarpon, redfish, snook, um, a lot of mangrove snapper, things like that. So we have a lot of fun on both sides of the, the peninsula there. I heard wahoo is crazy. Like you're like wahoo is absolutely insane. A fish that can hit a lure going 20 miles an hour and go the other way at about 60 is absolutely incredible. <laughs> and I've got stories. I mean, they go on for on and on. I mean, when we take out a um, Isle Murata there, we run about 70 miles, and that puts us right on the border of Cuba and everything else. So we're offshore a long ways. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a riot. It's absolutely a gas. And I mean, some of the I mean, we've got marlin. Well, we've been doing it. We've caught a lot of different critters while we're doing it. But uh, wahoo are impressive. I mean, it's amazing that that fish hits that big, going anywhere from fifteen to twenty miles an hour. That is that's a life. lean, mean killing machine. Absolutely. You thought barracuda were fast. Wahoo make barracuda look like they stand still. Jeez. Well, they look pretty similar too, don't they? they? They're really similar, actually. And we catch, we do catch a lot of barracuda while we're wahoo fishing. But um, yeah, and once you get them on, you can't slow down because the sharks and the barracudas sit there and antagonize them while you got them on. So you want to get them in too. Yeah, it's as fun. you folks can see, uh, Mark has a lot of stories in his travels. I've gotten the uh, the pleasure to spend a week in North Dakota with Mark and hear just a small glimpse of him. So we're hoping to get some out of him tonight. But uh, this, before we get too deep into the show here tonight, Mark, uh, I think first we should, for folks that may not know who you are, tell a little bit about yourself, and then uh, let's dive into how you even got your start in fishing in the first place. Like, who's, who introduced you to it? You know, what was the first fish you caught that got you kind of hooked? Absolutely. So I've been doing it full-time now for 24 years. 
Uh, it was a passion of mine since I was a little kid. You know, obviously grandparents and parents um, got me out fishing. Uh, was lucky enough to grow up in a family that fished a lot and we fished a lot of different places. Um, and then it, I, I grew up on a lake um, in my high school years and my guidance counselor asked me what I was going to do when I graduated from high school. And I said, either hunt or fish. And the day I graduated from high school, I moved to Saskatchewan and started training dogs up in Weyburn, Saskatchewan, and then left there and moved to South Texas, lived on the King Ranch for a year, guiding hunts, hunts down there and doing some fishing. And then uh, managed a hunt club up in Hayward, Wisconsin, and then the whole time fishing. And in 98, decided to go full time as an angler, fishing local tournaments prior to that things like that in 98, I started actually in a circuit called Nawa. And when I looked at my career and, and looked at the Midwest where I'm from, Minnesota here, um, it was it was pretty obvious that my area that I was going to target was walleye just because of the amount of travel. You know, I, I mean, I was a passionate bass fisherman even back then. But for me, the closest tournament would be 12 hours. You know, the closest walleye, the farthest walleye tournament like next year will be in Dunkirk, New York. Um, so, you know, it's 16 hours for me there, but every bass tournament, you know, if you look at a national level is a long ways away later in my career, I did, um, take on the bass. I went to the national guard, Western series, FLW national guard, Western series and went West and actually fished Havasu and, uh, the Delta and some of those for a year. So, uh, yeah, I've been, I, I dabble in a lot of things. Um, I've owned a salmon charter business over on Lake Michigan uh, my passion is fishing. And the, and the crazy thing for me is I'm actually allergic to fish, so I can't eat them. Um, I've grown immune to touching them, but it's just a love hate relationship. And, uh, yeah, I'm all about the outdoors. I mean, I live that's wild. Wait, yeah. you, you say you grew immune to touching them. So like, did you have like an allergic reaction at first oh, yeah. to touching them? Oh yeah. My throat would swell up. My eyes would swell shut. Um, and it, I had to carry an inhaler with me wherever I went. I mean, I felt like, I couldn't breathe at all times. And, you know, growing so up, what made you keep going? Just a passion. I mean, it, you know, it's a challenge. It's the game. It's, you know, it's the whole sport of fishing that's so challenging. And, uh, no, I, I just live for it. I can't get enough of it. That's crazy. Yeah. Could you imagine like your throat swelling up? You just know, like, when you're going fishing. Like, God, I've got another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is, is it's not like, you know, I can eat shellfish, and that's most people's allergy is being allergic to shellfish. And I can eat shellfish, and let me tell you, when I'm in the Florida Keys, I put a whooping on shrimp and uh, oysters and everything else. But yeah, it's all skin fish. That's crazy. So, like, you catch a smallmouth, and you just have an allergic uh, allergic reaction. I used to, yeah, and now I've grown immune to it. I mean, like, it doesn't even bother me. I mean, my hands used to crack and be all swelled up all the time, and if I get stuck with a fin. My fingers would swell up to the point where I couldn't even straighten it. So, oh my god, yeah. When like when did that kind of like click? When it stopped? Like was it just like a literal like it just light on light off? Like no, it wasn't. It was just one of those gradual things where it just you know slowly but surely I got used to it. And yeah, but I mean I've tried everything from saltwater fish to freshwater fish, canned fish, everything. And you know, there's only a couple people that I've met throughout the years that have the same allergy. It's wild. That is wild. I can, the only fish I can eat, the worst one ever, is canned tuna. That's the only one you can't eat, you said? That's the only one I can eat. Oh, that's the only one you can eat. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is it that's because weird. the skin is off of it already? Yeah, skin's off of it. Just normal, you know, huh. chips ahoy, 
canned tuna. That's that's crazy interesting. Yeah. I couldn't imagine that because I love fish. I'd rather just like have my allergic reaction. Everybody I mean, is like, you're kidding me. Like, that's the best thing ever. So I just throw them all back. So, yeah, nobody has to worry about me taking their limit. I was going to say, especially as a walleye guy, it's like people like uh, my buddy Nolan Miner and I were joking earlier this morning when throw, we we're throwing walleye back and we we're getting cursed out for doing it. Like, people are like, are you crazy? Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, that's, yeah, like, I mean, keeping walleye is such like a, a common thing, I guess. Yeah, so my career's been spread out, but um, I still to this day, I mean, I've, I've done salmon tournaments, I've done uh, lots of bass tournaments, and I do walleye tournaments, but uh, walleye's primarily where my business focus is, but I still, um, I get two boats. Uh, I run two speeders. I run a WX2200 and an FXR21, um, and uh, yeah, I love it. I mean, I you know, if I'm at home, typically my walleye boat sits in the shed, and I grab the bass boat, and we go fishing somewhere yeah, you usually we, we talked about this in north dakota you usually fish the um oh gosh sturgeon bay open yes. yeah fish the sturgeon bay open in the sturgeon bay bass tournament both do you of those, take your deep v uh i do actually but Smart we move <laughs> my partner it's funny my partner actually has a backup boat there and it's a fxr 21 so if if we get the right days we'll take the fxr during yeah. practice um with my boat being wrapped uh we kind of go incognito and uh, I like it, but uh, yeah, that's, that's something I will not miss. I mean, those two tournaments out there, it's just, it's heaven. That is pretty wicked. Yeah. You were talking some stories about, you know, beating up on the Johnston boys. Oh yeah. Chris and Corey are, are great friends of mine. Gusty, all those Canadian guys come down and, and uh, Johnston's uh, have got the best of me more than once. Uh, those two are, <laughs> Smallmouth freaking, I don't even know what to call them. They are like vultures. <laughs> they are the best of the best. Um, and uh, actually, one year we had a pound and a half lead going out the second day on the Johnsons. They were second and they pulled up in an area we were fishing and literally caught the one fish in 14 to 16 foot of water on a bed. And we, we couldn't even see the beds. And they pulled up, made two casts, caught it, and they were rocking and rolling. So no, we always make a point to have dinner together and spend some time together because they're just a lot of fun to be around. That's awesome. Heck yeah. So when did you kind of real? I know you said just because of like from a travel standpoint that you wanted to do the walleye gig, but uh, you know, going as you go through your career and obviously as you get more established, things become more flexible in terms of traveling, especially, you know, in your case, it seems like you're doing it every single week of the year. You know, did you ever have the thought of trying to go, you know, beyond the, the FLW Western, but like trying to take a run at fishing professionally for bass and like on the, yeah. on the other side of that, like what kept you going for, for walleye for professionally at least? I've definitely thought about doing it. And, you know, a lot of it, what boils down to is just the schedule conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want to leave my roots where I'm established and have created a great business to, to go chase that. And obviously all my sponsors would back me going to the other side, but you know, you still have to look at the publicity and, and the media content that you're going to gather from doing the sport that I've been, you know, established in. So um, this year I was fortunate enough to end up second for angler of the year, let it most of the year and, and had a let down there at the last tournament, but ended up second. And, you know, so with that type of, you know, I guess business standpoint, I mean, I really, it's really hard for me to justify 
you know, going to the opens or something like that. Now, um, one of my fellow competitors, Jason Shakurit, his son just qualified for the elites, which is really cool. Um, and Jay, little Jay. And uh, so it's awesome to see. And a couple of the guys I travel with at Sturgeon Bay and stay with, and actually one of my former captains that used to help me run my boat. Um, he's chasing that and got really close. He was second going in or third going into that last tournament and fell short. But uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, if you look at our industry, it's, it's really eerily similar on the bass side to the walleye side. If, if you look at our the way our walleye boats have been set up for years and years and years, the bass guys are just getting caught up to where we've been for a long time. I mean, we had multiple units on our boats forever and ever and ever. And we're used to fishing structure. You know, if you look at bass fishing versus walleye fishing, it wasn't long ago that if a bass guy couldn't touch his rod on the bottom of the lake, it was too deep. You know, electronics would definitely change that. But this is stuff that we were doing, you know, forever ago. So, you know, it, it's real easy for me to transition to that. And when I went out to Havasu and when I went to, you know, the Delta and places like that, you know, it, the transition is definitely easier. Um, and especially smallmouth, when you talk about smallmouth, I mean, smallmouth and walleye relate so well together that, I mean, a lot of what we're fishing is the same structure. Yeah. And say so they live together most of the year yeah, when they're absolutely. offshore. So, yeah, I see so, that a lot on Lake Erie and Buffalo. So yeah. a ton. Yeah. And even if you get down, you know, further to the Western, the Western basin of Lake Erie, it's the same stuff, Peely Island, you know, a lot of that structure around the Bass Islands, things like that are all real similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of want to dive down that that rabbit hole of, um, you know, you hear a lot of guys, especially when they're going for smallmouth, and you know they'll, they'll graph over fish and be like, "Oh, those got to be smallmouth." They'll turn around and they'll fire cast in that school, can't catch them for ten minutes. It's like, "Oh, got to be walleye," and they'll move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in, in your case, being well versed in both, like when you're when you're graphing now and you see those schools. I mean, is it clearly defined now for you that you can tell the difference between a smallmouth school and a walleye school? Our electronics have gotten so good, and I run Hummingbird, but our electronics have gotten so good, it definitely is, you're able to see the difference, um, especially when you get into good ones. I mean, there's no doubt right. the square ones are, are bass, and, you know, those longer drawn-out arcs are, are the walleyes. So, uh, yeah, it is, you know, if you spend enough time with your electronics, you can definitely tell the difference. Now, what you will get into is, you know, you throw suckers or carp or something into the mix, you know, they're pretty similar in shape. So it's a little bit tougher to see those, but you can tell by the way they react, except on Green Bay. I mean, there's so many times that we catch suckers casting for walleyes or casting for smallmouth um, that the suckers will actually come up and eat. So it's mm. it's really weird how those fish react. Right. Yeah. And like, so that hummingbird, that mega imaging is like a cheat code, but like for folks say that are only restricted to 2D sonar, are there any like kind of telltale signs to try to pick apart fish? 100%. And and that's, what you know, a lot of times I'm using my 2D sonar to see those differences. You know, you can definitely tell the squareness of your arc um, at speed versus a long drawn out arc of a walleye. Um, especially when there's some size to them or the thinness of a, an arc compared to the thickness of an arc bass versus walleye. Um, so yeah, you know, and now with live, um, it's even gotten better. I mean, like you just see how those fish react and you see different things and you kind of know which is which, but, uh, yeah, you know, but that's the difference. I mean, you know, us as anglers, we spend so much time in our boats looking at, you know, 
our depth finders or our locators that it's easy for us to say that. And the average angler that only gets to spend 20 hours a year in his boat, it's tough for them to define. And ultimately what it comes down to is that I think that the average weekend angler, they just want something tugging on the other end of their line. And I'm guilty of that too. I mean, if I just go fun fishing and I get into a school of crappies or I get into a school of bluegills or whatever it may be, I'll sit there and jack on them for a long time because I just like to catch fish. You know, and ultimately the tug is the drug, right? Right. Right. And and that leads us into kind of like the basis of we want to talk about today is, you know, being well-versed in multiple species rather than just one, right? Uh, And this is one where, Andy, I love to see the steelhead side of things. Uh, From your experience, like you said, it's it's made you a better smallmouth fisherman. Um, so, So, Mark, I guess my first question on that is, you know, when did it kind of, did it, did it, oh, I guess in first question really is, did it click for you when chasing these different species that because you are targeting multiple different species, learning how different species react, that it helped you become a better angler in general? Like when did that click for you? If it, if it clicked at all? I think the the biggest thing for me is I grew up on a little lake in central Minnesota um, that was loaded with smallmouth and it actually was connected to the Mississippi river at one time and then they dammed it up. So there was a healthy population of smallmouth and I just got addicted to smallmouth right away. There was very few largemouth in the lake, but there was a handful of walleyes in the lake too. And, and, you know, Mille Lacs Lake is 45 minutes from where we grew up. And so as, you know, Minnesota people or Midwest people, everybody chases walleyes, you know, but it was easy for me to go out and catch crappies and smallmouth on the lake I lived on. So I got real accustomed to catching those, but as time progressed, you know, and, and spending time on different bodies of water chasing walleyes, it just, it was easy for me. I mean, and I think going from being a walleye angler that, you know, started with seven inch screens or five inch screens, and now we're at 12 and 15 inch screens, 16 inch screens. I think that the transition between species is eerily similar no matter what you're chasing. Now, it might be different in a stream situation chasing steelhead. But you still, it's bait presentation, um, you know, reading water. Um, that's something that comes in very handy when you're on the river. You know, like we fish a lot of tournaments on the Mississippi River. Reading water, you know, looking for those current seams, looking for those fish holding areas or or those ambush points. And I, I relate fishing a lot to hunting. I mean, you know, fish are ambush, you mm-hmm. know, type predators. So you got to look for those little key areas where those fish are going to target you know and when we talk about mega side imaging or, or 360 and, and things like that those are tools that we use to find those key little areas you know um lake masters chip i mean that's basically made our life so easy i mean i can go to a new body of water and know exactly where the structure is and you know most people don't understand that most lakes have current or every lake has current of some sort whether it's wind driven or whether it's a, a, a stream or a river or something like that. So, you know, you got to pay attention to how those fish relate to structure and why they're sitting there. And I think if you kind of put that in your head, okay, these fish are sitting on this side of the point today. Well, why is that? Well, it wind blew out of the West for two days or sitting on the East side of it. You know, it's because that current's coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, you know, to touch on that, especially a wind driven current, that's something I really learned how to approach a few years back. And the one thing I really learned is how much fun a fishery can be. Even when things get tough after a really hard wind, 
like right after that really hard, you know, that, that storm system pulls through because that, that water's moving and it's moving actually at a much faster pace than you really realize, especially subsurface. And it, it gets those fish grouped up. You can make the same cast over and over again, especially if you have hard, hard cover in your body's water. That could be some of the most fun times to fish. And being a salmon charter captain, I've seen it more than anything. I mean, I was looking oh, at my fish hawk all the time, you know, and I might be doing 2.6 up above, but my baits down below 50, 60, 70 foot are only doing, you know, 0.8 to one mile an hour. So, and even in a river situation that plays into, you know, where going downstream, if I'm catching fish, I got to do 3.2 in a, you know, two mile an hour current. But if I turn around and target, try to target those same fish, I got to slow down to 0.6, 0.5, whatever it may be. So there's a lot of correlation to, um, you know, like I said, hunting to fishing, but also species to species. I mean, they're all predators. They're all looking for a ambush point to target those fish. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just a little side note here when it comes to like steelhead fishing and how I was able to turn it into smallmouth. If you look at a stream and the way it flows from, whatever upstream is to downstream you're gonna have all these little points and boulder piles you can translate that to your side imaging and your 2d graph and understanding where the structure is and based on that wind or if there's a current system moving in you can figure out where those fish are setting up on that current spot so like that's where the two go hand in hand with me it's just understanding what you're looking at on your graph and the weather situation that you have at hand or had had Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, you know, and, and that relates to everything, you know, I mean, when you look at, um, Johnston's, I think said it best and I forget what article I was reading, it was in Bass or something like that, but how smallmouth relate to structure and, and how, the, why they're so good. And I mean, I've, I've literally had to leave an area because they had the angle that those fish wanted to feed at. And if you're not on that angle, you can sit there and make that cast from the opposite direction and you are not going to catch a fish. It's crazy how a small, minute difference will play such a big factor in making a fish trigger or not. And, and it's, it's amazing how often it comes into play. You know, and I mean, I can relate that to panfish or bass or walleye numerous on numerous occasions. It, it's crazy how even like with that same track mind, how you know, a certain angle, so even taking an angle or a certain water calm, how you can catch bass, but you're not going to catch anything over two and a half pounds. But if you change something slightly, now everything you catch is going to be over three pounds. Yeah. It's kind of crazy how they almost kind of separate each other. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that brings you to a good question. And that's with, with being able to chase different species so often, especially when it comes to hunting as well. Um, have you found how, I mean, people always talk about how we overthink everything in fishing. Uh, have you really found that to be the case with chasing all these different species and really just dumbing things down and it just starts to work? You said it right there, dumbing it down. I mean, it's plain and simple. I mean, you know how many walleyes get caught on a, a hook in a split shot? I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it would absolutely scare you. Um, so, yeah, dumbing it down is not a, a dumb thing. I mean, it, and that's reality. I mean, you know, if you look at some of the latest trends in, in bass fishing, the net rig, what is it? It's dumbing it down. I mean, cast it out, leave it sit, and something comes over and picks it up. And, and, and walleye fishing is no different in a lot of occasions, you know. Um, just dumbing it down, you know. I think we definitely, you know, here's one of the things that 
being an, a professional angler that I see so much is you spend so much time paying attention to your electronics and it's only getting worse with live and things like that. You still have to get them to bite. Right. And that's one of the things I think people don't understand. I mean, you know, we just talked about fish, you know, knowing what you're looking at. Well, the only way you really know what you're looking at is by a camera. I mean, how many times have you pulled up on a school of suckers and sat there and said, oh, man, look at this school of smallmouth. I'm going to catch him. I'm going to catch him. I'm going to catch him. <laughs> and it won't bite. I mean, you still have to have that mentality that if they don't bite, you got to leave. Mm -hmm. And it, it ultimately, it, you know, so that that goes back to that dumbing it down. You know, I mean, you still have to catch the fish. Right. And I just see too many anglers getting so caught up in our electronics nowadays, which is a great thing. And it's made our sport that much easier. I mean, it's given the guy that had no boat control in the past with Minn Kota and, and spot lock and follow the contours and all those other things that they offer. It gives them ultimate boat control. I mean, it's hands-free boat control anymore. Yeah. And that was, I totally forgot about this question, but I'm glad you said that because it reminded me, but you were, I think you were on the road a few months back and I had called you and you were talking about something that you do with your one talon and your all tracks mm -hmm. and it's something to do with boat positioning and to still to this day. And I've, I think I've talked about it with Ryan too. And we're like, we we're chatting about it. I still don't understand the, like the concept so it actually works. Yeah. So a lot of times what I'll do in a river situation or a current situation, I'll actually turn my boat. So every angler has the opportunity at that structure or even on a lake. And what I'll actually do is hit spot lock, actually put my talon down on my Raptor, put my Raptor down on my talon and then hit spot lock and keep my boat sideways. And your boat will literally stay sideways. So, you, so, so you're you're anchor locked, and then as the wind's blowing you, the spot lock keeps pulling yep. you back. Got right. it. Because for for the NWT, you guys have co-anglers, but it's actually a team effort, correct? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah, explain that a little bit, because I think there's a lot of bass guys, especially like myself. When you explained it to me, it kind of blew my mind that you're how that tournament worked. But yeah. there's probably a lot of guys that, that listen to this that don't understand that whole so structure. So a pro-am format. Um, they're separate purses. But for each day, we get a different co-angler. So I keep my weight that I caught that day, but he carries my weight with him to the next pro. So our limit is combined. I, I supply all the equipment, um, rods, reels, bait, whatever we're using that day, crankbaits, um, whatever it may be. And literally, we're a team for the day. And, and a lot of that goes back to it's a trolling situation. You know, I mean, a guy would have to bring a boatload of stuff and yeah. it just won't work out. You know, I mean, it's it's different in the bass world where you grab, you know, eight, six, eight rods and throw them in the boat with five different boxes and it's go time. Um, <laughs> ours is totally different. You know, we may be on, well, for example, one of the tournaments this year, we were over 50 foot of water trolling te or over 90 foot of water trolling 50 foot down over treetops um targeting fish that were sitting in the at top of the cottonwoods so um in an old river channel so i mean we were going through 60 80 baits a day you know getting them hung up in the trees and things oh, like that yeah that's an expensive tournament but it sounds like it i've won a tournament doing it so i mean i feel comfortable in, in doing it um and so yeah we're a team for the day so a lot of times, you know, depending on the coin where I have or draw, um, I might let them reel in the fish and I do the netting or 
you know, whoever's close to the rod, grab it. Or if we're jigging, obviously, you know, my philosophy or my mentality every day is I got to catch the five fish we're going to weigh in. But I'll take any bonus fish that that co-angler wants to give me because it's a combination. You know, it's a it's a team effort for the day. Right. So, yeah, a lot of different bass fishing. So when I get ready for a tournament, and the other thing is we can use two lines per angler per day, you know, per oh, situation. So a lot of times, like if we're on a certain body of water, let's just say the Missouri River or something like that, I might be doing four <laughs> different presentations. I need five rods rigged up, four that we're going to use in a spare for everything we do. So I have to rig up 20 rods the night before the tournament. That's crazy. And then when we get in, I have to redo those 20 rods. So we, so spend, a lot of, we spend a lot of time re-rigging. I, it's not, especially if you're getting snagged on treetops and 50 foot water. And it's not that I probably don't trust my co-anglers. It's just the mentality that if something fails, I want to be the one that it failed on. Right. So like I'm tying all the knots most of the time, or unless I feel really comfortable about the guy tying knots and I'll ask him in the morning if they feel comfortable, but I want that on me not him. You know what I mean? If yeah. It's, it's the same like, thing that goes for equipment. You want to yeah. use it best so that it, you know, it's not the equipment's fault. It's your own fault. Yep, for sure. So it's a, it's a challenge. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. Uh, I mean, I, I've met a lot of great people doing it over the years, but it's still that same, you know, <coughs> it can be a challenge. I mean, you know, I've had everything from great young guys to great older guys to young kids that don't have a clue to older guys that it's a retirement gift or his wife just wanted him out of the house for three days. <laughs> you know, this guy could care less. And they don't understand that, like, my year rides on – you know, each individual tournament, you know, I mean, when we talk about angler of the year, there's a lot of things that have to go right to win angler of the year. And if one thing goes wrong, it's, you know, it's not good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be something that's almost frustrating for you. So you probably get pretty excited when there's a guy who's like serious business that gets in the boat. With you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all sit at the rules meeting going, all right, which one do we want? Which one do we want? Oh, that one. Looks good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so no. if you get a guy who shows up in like a hummingbird hoodie with an abu hat, you're like, I want him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, let me tell you, I mean, you see a lot of guys that have more sponsors than I got, so that, that's the guy you don't want. Oh man. <laughs> Going back on the uh, the two rod thing because. Major League Fishing has a, has a deal where you can, I think it's like once a period, you can break out another rod and use two, which I've seen them use a bunch at like, I think it's past year at Champlain and St. Lawrence River. A lot of guys did it, um, obviously, because smallmouth and wolf packs and all that jazz. But um, in your case, I would imagine the, the popular time to do it is when you're trolling. But have you ever found a time like, I know you tell me how you pitch jigs for walleyes now and then. Do you ever find a time like that where walleyes can school up and you maybe throw out another rod? Well, so in a in a pitch, jig pitching situation, a lot of times what we'll have is a dead stick hanging over the side, mm -hmm. uh, you know, targeting those fish that are out a little bit deeper. So there's a lot of situations. Uh, we start this year, um, the end of March, 1st of April on the Detroit River. We'll all be having two rods in our hand, vertical jigging. Um, so a lot of times I'll ask my co-anglers if they feel comfortable with two rods, but I'd much rather have them fishing one rod efficiently than, you know, 
getting hung up all the time with two rods. So just depends on the angler ability, but like us up in the bow, when we're slipping the current, we always have two rods. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get the most out of every situation. And, and so a lot of times I've got two rods in the water. Could you guys imagine in a smallmouth tournament, how much more fish you'd catch if you had a second rod to drop off the side? So Sturgeon, Sturgeon Bay used to be that way. Oh, did it? I didn't know that. Actually, when, when the Johnstons beat us that year, um, we had great wind and we were just drifting hair jigs and both of us, me and my partner would have two rods just like this the whole time, just yeah. floating hair. And all of a sudden, Oh, got one. Oh, there's one. Hand him the rod or whatever it may be. That's so <laughs> big cool. old cluster. Oh yeah. No, but I mean, numerous times you're hooked up on multiples, but they were always away. big ones too. Yeah. Every time. yeah absolutely. <laughs> they away from them. But you'd always say, okay, Oh, this one, this one's bigger. Here, you take the little one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Andy, how many times have you found that, especially fishing the Great Lakes, where you have a rod just off the side while you're maybe you're re-rigging another rod or eating or something, whatever? But that rod I've lost rod. rods doing that. Yeah. It happens all the time. I, I like a couple weeks back, I actually got the Hobie out on the Great Lakes, and I was trying to rig two rods and I leave. I kept leaving a drop shot rod or a net off the side of the kayak. And I could not take five to 10 seconds of that thing hitting bottom to try to re-rig when it would go off again. But as soon as I picked up to hold it and like drift with it, they wouldn't eat it. So I just came with the idea of I'll just leave the rod there. I'll kick back and relax. And that's the only way I could get them to eat. <laughs> and one of the things I found with like smallmouth, especially you know, when I've got my hydrowave going, what those fish do is, you know, if I'm throwing a jerk bait or something like that, those fish will actually follow the bait to the boat and then sit underneath it. Hmm. That's wicked. And it uses, I mean, cause you're out, you know, in Lake Oahe, for example, um, a lot of times those fish will come up and use your boat because there is no structure and you're over deep water. I mean, <coughs> concentrating on shad and smelt and all these other things out deep. So your boat's a little shade pocket and there isn't, you know, any shade out there. There's no, you know, type of thing like that. So, Smallmouth will actually come up and sit under your boat a lot. I've actually had to shut my hydrowave off to tune crankbaits because the minute I'd put the bait in the water, they'd be sitting under the boat and they'd come whack it as I'm trying to tune my <laughs> crankbait to run straight. That's, that's wild. So, that's actually something I've noticed too. Like with the kayak being a kind of a stealthier deal, like I'll, go, I'll actually release fish. Like after I catch them, I'll put them down and I'll do whatever for like 30 seconds. And I look down as I'm drifting. And I see my shadow and they're under me just kind of coasting along in the shadow. That's exactly right. And smallmouth do that all the time. I mean, they're That's notorious. Well, in the Douglas tournament a few weeks ago and out of Buffalo, I caught a small in 52 feet of water, 10 foot underneath the boat, saw it on panoptics and dropped it down. And he chased it all the way to the bottom and ate it. Well, that literally, I mean, you know, if you look at how Gussie won that first elite tournament this year, I don't know where they were at. Was it Smith or Fort Loudon? Yeah. I believe. Yeah. But I mean, that moping that he was doing, yeah. I mean, that's something that's been around forever. The Linders actually started that whole trend, and that was on uh, Rainy Lake. And they literally chased those fish that were chasing smelt schools and just literally hang jigs and just drive around and, and slowly move around with that jig hanging, not move it. It's insane. That is the technique for 22, the year of 2022 that I really want to hone in on because it's the dumbest thing ever, but it works so good. 
Well, and I think that happened last year too. Fighter, I know Fighter did really well on a tournament. I forget where it was at. It might have been Tennessee River again, but further south or someplace. But yeah, that was the same type of deal early in the season. Cold water, just literally hanging jigs over, you know, those schools chasing um, smelt or, you know, herring or whatever they were chasing. Yeah, I know Andy, I know Deacon, our other co-host, Mark, uh, is a big fan of that. And he's out in Colorado fishing those, those Midwestern and the Central Western lakes. And he's a big fan of moping. Well, and that's literally what we do walleye fishing all the time. I mean, in a river situation when we're slipping current, that's all we're doing. I mean, we're literally holding those jigs steady and just every now and then just dropping them down, touching bottom, just checking to make sure you're close to the bottom. But we aren't jigging them or nothing aggressively. I mean, you're just literally slipping the current going like this. And those walleyes, you know, I mean, the strike zone in a river situation is very small. I mean, you're talking anywhere from six inches to a foot off the bottom. So those fish are out of the current down there on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And so you want them to come up. Obviously, every fish feeds up. I mean, their eyes are on their top of the head for a reason. So yeah. you're literally just slipping the current with, you know, keeping your baits six inches to a foot off the bottom. What? So when you're doing that technique, you ever use like paddle tails or is it mostly That's like Bruce tail? Yeah, um, Berkeley actually makes a twitch tail minnow that mm-hmm. I use a lot. Um, yeah, a, a fluke, um, some paddle tails, ringworms, those types of baits are definitely what we use doing that type of stuff. That's so that's a technique that's wicked. I mean the, the biggest most well-known bait on the Detroit River is a wind out worm. It's just an old flat tail worm. Um, and we actually rig it so uh, we actually run a line through it and have a treble hook on the tail up on your jig and and yeah I mean they they sit there and literally just smoke a Motorola flat tail worm. Interesting. The the other technique that I want to learn that I got a little bit of a glimpse of in North Dakota that I actually, as soon as I learned about it a little bit, Corey actually showed me it, uh, the snap jig that Berkeley yeah. makes. Yep. I sent it immediately to Andrew, and I said, we are using this this fall. But it's a technique I tried a little bit already, but I have not been able to catch one on it. Uh, I'm curious, your, uh, your take. So with this Berkeley snap jig, how do you work it? Like, what is uh, so yeah, I was actually on the beginning edge of that. There again, with the twitch tail minnow, it's probably the most effective because you don't want to take away from that action. Um, Jordan Lee's champ minnow works good on it. It's a fork tail bait, but the biggest key is just get it rigged right. And you can do that moping with it. I mean, it's no different. You know, it was funny. Um, I, I brought up, I don't know where I was at. It was when I was with Evan <laughs> and I was with the Western guys, Ayler and and be height and those guys. And we were sitting there talking and I said, have you ever used uh, a grappler jigging wrap or um, spot spotted bass? And he's like, ice jig. I'm like, ice jig. Yeah. The jigging wrap, the ice jig. I'm like, well, I've never heard it called an ice jig, but those guys have been using it out West on those schooling fish, you know, late those spotted bass. Um, yeah. Same thing. I mean, it, it's, you know, and, and so it's a, there's a lot of things that really correlate to different species. I mean, spoons have become a big thing with walleyes. Hair jigs have become a big thing with walleyes. So, you know, and those baits have been around forever and ever and ever, um, you know, whether you look at one species or the other. So 
I mean, most of my tackle travels with me year round. I mean, whether it's bass fishing or walleye fishing, I carry it all. It sounds like with your schedule, you got to carry walleye stuff, bass stuff. <laughs> how many trucks you take? Deer. Each it's it's absolutely dumb how many things I take with me. <laughs> I mean, how many Plano totes I got in the back of the truck? I mean, my rod locker up on top is plumb full of rods. I mean, I I'm carrying. 60 to 80 rods to every tournament, just not knowing what I'm going to be doing um, up on top of my truck. Do you bring like duck blinds and like decoys in your walleye boat too? Only during the fall. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you open up Mark's rod locker and it's 60, 80 rods and a couple shotguns that are ready to go. (laughs) That's that's in the truck locker. (laughs) Oh, that's That's wild. So, So, Pertaining to bass, because selfishly, this platform, a lot of what we talk about predominantly is bass. Absolutely. From a multi-species standpoint, has there been a specific species that helps you, that better helps you correlate to bass than anything else? Walleyes, for sure. I mean, when we talk about smallmouth, I mean, they're so eerily similar to smallmouth that that transition going to smallmouth was simple for me. I mean, and and us, like we talked about earlier in the, the broadcast, you know, electronics i mean that's something we've been doing fishing offshore fish suspended fish forever and ever and ever and it's really i mean if i look at my career it was it wasn't 15 years ago i mean like we talked i mean a bass guy if he could dip his rod in and touch the bottom i mean that was craziness but you know if he couldn't touch the bottom it was craziness so yeah definitely smallmouth but now even more so i mean if you look at the the largemouth game, especially in the fall when they get offshore chasing bluegills, um, things like that, you know, I mean, there's so many of those things that relate. It's absolutely scary. And, you know, electronics have made it a lot more simple. I mean, just, I I guess we've all trained ourselves to be that much better. I mean, even if we look at our iPhones, I mean, you can take just as good as your photos with your iPhone as you could with a a high-end, you know, camera anymore. So, there's so many of those things that have just gotten better and better and better. And I mean, we continue to push the envelope. I don't know where the next one would be pretty soon we'll be looking at live fish down there. I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, that's the next thing I, I, I see us doing. It's going to be like glasses with infrared showing you where the bass are. 100%. I mean, look at hunt deer hunting. I mean, we yeah. got cell phone cameras now. I mean, I'm getting pictures right now from Thomas Allen because he's got cameras out of my on my farm here, and he's sending me pictures on my cell phone of what's going on out of my farm. He doesn't work anymore. He just hunts deer. That's all he does. <laughs> His daughter was lucky enough to shoot one here on my farm during our youth season, so that was cool to see. She's 14. Oh, was it at your place? Yeah. yeah That's awesome. Was, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, that was in my backyard, so they stayed down here for a couple of days and, and shot a nice little buck, so it was fun. Cool. That's awesome. But, yeah, I mean, and so that's, that's the technology we've got. I mean, right. honestly, yeah. I mean, if you look at that, that's how scary this industry has gotten. And where's where is there an end? I don't know if there is an end. I mean, I honestly don't. I mean, everybody just keeps pushing the envelope. And, I mean, pretty soon we're going to have something like that. I honestly believe it's going to be an underwater camera that you can see whatever you want to see. If people are going to buy it, they're going to make it. Yep, for sure. Yeah. So we touched on deer for a second, and that brings me to a question that I had for you. So we had on Josh Douglas, and uh, who I'm sure you know quite well. Great friend of mine. We fish tournaments together. Yeah, and that's one of the things when we posted on Instagram uh, for folks tuning into this now. But 
yesterday evening we posted that we we're having you on the show. He said, well, I'm really glad that he's staying walleye and not bass. <laughs> uh, so he, he, uh, he made that point known. But uh, when we talked with him, what we, we got into deer hunting because it, it you know, is the season. And uh, one thing that we talked about was, do we think that chasing big bucks correlates to chasing big fish, uh, especially pertaining to bass? You know, what, what do you think those two correlate? I think one of the things that we that anglers overlook is uh, bass anglers. Now, you talk to a muskie angler, they're all about moon phases and, and mm-hmm. things like that. And deer hunting and phases of whether you talk about the rut or daytime movement all relates to the moon phase too. So, I mean, that's one thing that there's, there's an elite few of us on the walleye side that really pay attention to it. And I think that's just because our Midwest background and musky fishing and things like that. I don't musky fish a lot, but all my friends do. Um, and I think they really pay attention to that. And I think it, it definitely has um, an effect on fish just like it does deer. That's so cool. And that's one of my most intriguing topics to talk about is the correlation. And maybe it's just because I have an immense passion for both, but to see the correlation between targeting big bucks and how it is for, you know, I could definitely, it's, I'm happy you said that because I don't even put that two together of targeting big muskie, but like, I feel like with how a lot of these muskie guys work from the ones that I've talked to, at least that's same track mind of how they target their, their 100%. I mean, you know, growing up, Mille Lacs Lake being in my backyard, Mille Lacs Lake used to be the best musk, muskie fishery in the country for giant muskies. And, and there was times where you could go up on the North end and it was sand, shallow sand, and you'd see 30, 40 muskies in a day and you could throw a live sucker in front of them. They wouldn't eat it. But the minute it was a moon rise, a moon set, um, moon underfoot, whatever it may have been. I mean, those fish went like that and they were on fire. And I honestly, I mean, you know, when you look at deer hunting, I think anglers pay attention more to detail than the average hunter. So what you do is you look at a piece of property and you look for those pinch points or you look for the, you know, them going from bedding areas to food areas and things like that. So I think you relate the same way. I mean, I think it's no different than us looking at a rock and how a smallmouth or a walleye is related to it. And you look at it the same way. It's just paying attention to detail. And that's one of the things I, in all my seminars or when I'm talking to the consumers, I say, you know, pay attention to where you caught it, how deep it was, what the weather conditions were or what the conditions were at that point. And then recreate that around the lake. I mean, Lake Masters made it real easy, you know, being able to highlight certain areas or certain depths. You know, if I start catching fish in 14 to 16 foot, I can highlight that. And it shows up all around the lake. It's made it absolutely simple to recreate things, you know, or, or high spots or, or things like that with shallow water highlights or, you know, being able to adjust depths and things like that. Right. Yeah, that made a huge difference. But on the flip side, you know, Andrew talking from, you know, fish from the bank, especially in the streams where electronics don't really play a factor whatsoever. I mean, how do, how is steelhead correlated? Well, I really shouldn't say just steelhead, but, you know, fishing these creeks and streams, how is that correlated to what you do either on the big water or some of our lakes for, for bass? Well, a lot of it is current. So 
Um, like I haven't quite figured out like the spawning ways. War with Steelhead and Salmon, it's water temp. So once it hits a certain water temp, they will do their business. So it has nothing to do with the spawn phase, but current is the biggest driver in understanding how the fish relate to current. So here in Buffalo, we have one of the biggest river systems current-wise in the Niagara River. And I've been able to take steelhead fishing in the way they set up on boulders and current seams and breaks and apply that to smallmouth when I'm graphing or looking for current breaks. You can just tell by running your bait through something if you can't graph it, where those fish are gonna sit based on your bait moving through the water. And I think that's a point that a lot of people miss is understanding what the water is doing to your bait as well as on top of where those fish are sitting on that, that current break. And that's where steelhead fishing is applied for me. You know, I'm going to add something to that, and, and people don't pay attention to it, but cold water. Yeah. Um, you talk about plastic baits. The density of cold water is much more than the density of warm water. Yep. You talk about paddle tails and things like that. There's a huge difference in the way those baits react in cold water or get at depth than they are at the surface. And nobody pays attention to that mm -hmm. because of the density of the water. Colder water, there's less movement. So the colder the water, the less a paddle tail will kick is what you're saying? Absolutely. Yep. It stiffens up the plastic too. So colder the water temp, like especially like what Andrew and I, I you probably are getting into as well, getting these colder water temps. You want probably want a softer plastic as it gets colder. One hundred percent. That's something I didn't know. That's and one good. of the ways that you can soften them up, and this is something that we kind of keep under our hat, but I'll throw it out there, is we actually boil our baits. I was going to say that throw them in a steaming hot uh, pan of water. Yep. And it's another way to fix big swim baits, like plastic swim baits, is to boil the tails to get them to go straight again. Yep. You boil your frogs? No. No. No? But if you want to watch a really good YouTube, go to Jim Moynes, uh, and he was copying somebody, and he was boiling frogs. But it was, it's it's worth the watch. I don't have to look that up after this. Yeah. It's, 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 you'll absolutely die laughing. That's all, all right. <laughs> what is it? You said Jim Moyna. Moyna? Okay. Yeah. Jim Moyna. Uh, just do – I think it's frog – frogs or boiling frogs or something like that i'll scout i'll find it <laughs> oh, but i mean other than that Andrew's lacrosse and yeah it's comical oh i'm looking forward to this i'll, I'll have to text you the results yeah. <laughs> but uh andrew is there anything else from like a, a stream situation that kind of helped you correlate because i think that's a big thing too is like you just mentioned uh and something i didn't really think about was see how your line reacts versus what you can just see the current doing, but actually seeing what your line and your bait does. So like there's two different ways to fish a stream, right? You can go in with plastic baits or rooster tails or some type of spinner or soft plastic swim bait. And with steelhead fishing, we use bobbers a lot of times and we're floating egg sacs through. So when you get like a concussion behind a boulder, your egg sac might do one thing and your line and your float is going to do another. It's the same way when you cast in a soft plastic swim bait behind a current seam, your line is going to hit the current, the faster moving current, quicker than it is going to be in that boil. So you have to learn how to adapt to those current situations to get your proper presentation. And that takes a lot of time to figure it out. Yeah, 
I think that's a big struggle for a lot of people. And I'm speaking on behalf of fishing with the St. Lawrence river that has a lot of fast moving currents in situations where you might see visually what your line is doing towards the surface, but your bait and where your, your weights actually, I say you're using a drop shot, right? Where it might be a completely, your line, your bow and your line might be down here. So you think, Oh, maybe it's back there a little bit or right below me. When in reality, it's probably at the front of the boat still where you cast it. It's just dragging your bow line. Yeah, there's well, a lot of different things that can happen. Sometimes current will spin and they'll suck it back as you're moving away. So now your bait's going forward as your boat's going back, and it might be going to the right or left. See, that's just enough to trip somebody out. I'd be like, what is going on? Well, I would have set the hook because I think I would, something has my bait. I mean, when me and Thomas were filming for In Fish here a couple weeks ago, one of the things you'll notice in Minnesota, we can only use one hook on an A-rig. And that's what we were actually doing, throwing A-rigs for these smallmouth. And so we just had a single um, paddle tail behind it. But what ends up happening is if you can change the angle or when you got it close to the boat and it came, I mean, we're slow rolling it down there on the bottom. And the minute that angle would change and that bait would start to come up, that's where those fish would target it because Mm -hmm. they'd be tracking it. And then all of a sudden it'd change angles. And that's what a lot of people don't realize with current seams, you know. You can you can be casting at a boulder, but if that bait doesn't change directions or change speeds or or something to trigger that bite, those fish will track it a long ways. And and that's another thing I stress in all my seminars. Like erratic action is is your friend. I mean, like you and know, it can be the smallest minute detail of erratic action, just yeah. slowly jerking that reel handle to make that bait move a just slightly different. And every time it goes in that current seam. It's going to react different when you do that slight, minute real change because the current is always different. It's never the same. Correct. Never. Yeah, and that's what they talk about with A-Rigs, right, is you do that small, that quick real handle, right? Those yeah. baits on the outside compulse in. That bait, that fish sees it, and as they, as you go back to normal with the speed of your reeling, and they come back out, it opens up like this, like, heaven like these gates have opened they see this one bait sitting in the pile well, and you also have to think it's not just compulsing right it's actually lifting so mm-hmm. it's compulsing lifting and coming out and back down and that's when they eat it or those baits stalling out you yeah. know like you know i True. i watched a, a video the best one is like chris aldane's when he's reeling that and it hits that cable out on the a dock cable and i mean it literally stalls out and fish are just pounding on it on that dock one mm-hmm there's so many cool situations where I think one of the, the one of the ones that I learned a, a few years back was I always thought that you should like, I mean, we, we, as anglers, we know, like, you know, you're skipping docks or something like that and you hit the dock. You're like, Oh, well now the whole thing's screwed. Well, like there's certain things of like running a crankbait or chatterbait or spinnerbait purposely against a, a dock underwater at least. Mm-hmm. And that's like, if it's a difference between either hitting that dock or not hitting that dock, if you don't hit it, you're not going to get bit because they want something, some deflection, something erratic like we were talking about underwater. I can't tell you how many times I've dinged it off a pontoon boat with a jig and caught a fish on that cast because they'll come <laughs> right over it and be like, what the heck was that? So was I, don't that? Even, I don't even care if I hit it anymore. I still drop it and, and don't reel it in on most instances unless it's like a boat wake and flying up on top. You're not going to get fish in that. But... <laughs> And people ask me all the time, you know, when I'm rigging or if I'm drop shotting walleyes or whatever it is, I always use tungsten because fish are curious to sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, it's big in the bass world, but the walleye world, not so much. And I think, you know, that sound, 
bouncing. Fish are curious to sound. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I definitely pay attention to that. And I wasn't lying when he said, I said Thomas was sending me pictures of bucks because there's a new one that just showed up on my farm and it's studly. (laughs) Now you got like the the deer tingles going. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I gotta go to bed. I gotta get to stay in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what inches are we talking here? Are we talking one fifty plus? Uh no, it's probably a, a good one forty, which is big for my area. Heck yeah, dude. Yeah, I'll nice that day right now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I was gonna lose my oh speaking of tungsten, have you ever uh used a queen tackle hammerhead jig before? I have not. So it's a fo- a tungsten football jig that has tungsten rattles inside of it. That the uh, it's Jeff Queen and KJ Queen, who's on the Elite Series, that made it, and okay. they fine tuned the rattles inside the football head to match that of the sound underwater of a crawdad. I like it. Speaking of the sound thing, so that was kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. So we did a test this spring. I used uh, a different rattling football jig with Bailey using the hammerhead, and he was out fishing me like five to one. So we know it's the jig for sure because it wasn't Bailey. Correct. <laughs> but as soon as I put the hammerhead jig on, I was catching them right with him. Yeah. So it was definitely the jig. It's definitely not me. It's never me. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy's dying on us now. <laughs> I said uh, Andy, I apologize. <laughs> you're good, dude. Uh, you have any questions left for Mark before we hit him with our last one? Yeah, so... Besides walleye, bass, deer, and pheasant, what is your go-to species away from all of that? Uh, probably saltwater. And the Not reason good. being is because they pull so freaking hard. I mean, it. it I mean, a, you know, a 14-inch mangrove snapper absolutely owns you. Yeah. And a 10-pound grouper will, I mean, there's nothing that compares to it. And then you tie into a 50, 60, 70 pound grouper and you got all you want. And the funny thing is a lot of the ways we're fishing down there is real similar to the way we fish up here. I mean, we're pitching jigs under the mangroves and things like that. And I mean, a lot of times we're using live bait, but we'll use a lot of plastics too and gulp and things like that. But I mean, the way those fish react to it and how aggressive they are, I mean, everything, that's one place, there's a couple places we fish down there where I won't even wash my hands in the water. (laughs) I mean, because there's so many things that will eat you and kill you that it's absolutely amazing. I mean, anything that comes up and, you know, eats a hundred pound tarpon, I don't want nothing to do. Yeah. Thanks. And it's like, they just ate a shiner. I mean, and it's so funny. I mean, you know, we, we've talked about it a lot on the boat, but you can get a a non-targeted species like a jack or uh, maybe a hard head or a sheep head or something like that. A non-targeted species. But if, all of a sudden you catch a snook or a redfish or a tarpon, those bull sharks are on it like that. I mean, it, it's like they know. And, and watching side imaging down there is so incredible. I mean, I've got images of bull sharks tracking us as we're fishing because they know that we're like a food source. I want to see that. That oh, sounds badass. I'll send you the picture, Bailey. It's it's incredible. That's so you just see like the snook field and then a bull shark behind them. Oh, you, you don't even get a chance. I mean, like the snook, you set the hook when you get a bite, and the, the, it goes ballistic, and you know there's a shark, and you just try to get it to the boat fast fast as you can. Otherwise, you have a half a snook. 
Absolutely. That's crazy. That some, of the, some of the most fun I've ever had was just taking a typical bass setup, you know, like a seven, you know, four, seven, five heavy and, you know, 80 pound braid and skipping a topwater frog for redfish. That's probably some of the most fun. Yeah. I mean, like, it's just so fun. I mean, it's so addicting down there. It's, it's just absolutely incredible. But yeah, that's my passion. Or, or salmon fishing. I mean, I love chasing salmon and steelhead um, out in the Great Lakes. It's it's incredible experience. Heck so, yeah, Bailey. I'm trying to find this picture to send you because I've got it saved. So <laughs> it's all good. I'm dying to see that thing if you can find it. But uh, so our last question for you before we let you go um, is pretty simple, but it's it's fun that we like to ask everybody that's new to the show. And that is if you can get if you can take three different people uh, that you would invite to sit down, have a beer and a steak with to pick their brain. They, they don't have to be the fishing industry and they could be alive currently or a thousand years ago. Doesn't matter. The whole array is available for you to choose from. If you could only pick three people to sit down, have a beer and a steak with, who would you choose and why? Man, that's that's good. Um that's a tough one. No, you know, there, I mean, there's so many people, I mean, obviously I'd, I'd love to sit down again with my grandpas or, or my dad and things like that. But definitely, you know, if I, um, our industry, I mean, there's so many just cool anglers that I just love. I mean, like Rick Klon, I mean, mm-hmm. the guy's just a legend of the sport and just is a fish head, you know, yeah. and Al Linder. Um, you know, and, and I and Al are great friends, but yeah, I mean, you sit down and, and talk to those guys. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, Gary Klein's another one. That's just an absolute brainiac and, and pays attention to minute details. I mean, from hooks to just little minute things that a lot of us don't pay attention to anymore. You know I mean? Yeah. We're just so focused on what's in front of us. You don't look in the mirror and say, you know, Hey, this is something I could change and be a lot more successful, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, the, I mean, those are some of the names that pop in my head to Denny Brower, you know, I mean, you know, guys like that horse would, you know, I mean, you look at what he did back in the day and, and in the industry and whatever made you think of building a performance boat, you know, that, right. that every boat brand's kind of built off of nowadays. So yeah, there's just different different people, and and there are people. A lot of them are guys that I know and spend time with. But yeah, it's it's fun just to think about. You know, God, I'd like to sit down by myself with that guy and yeah, pick his brain. And that's you know, like a lot of times when we have outdoor writer conferences and or get-togethers with some pro staff that are be you know Skeeter with me now in Yamaha or or Berkeley or or Minn Kota Hummingbird. Like a Matt Heron, I love to sit and talk to Matt and, and things like that. Just pick their brain and, and see what kind of new in their industry or or what the the new latest trends are, and see if I can make that work on the walleye. I mean, one of the things that definitely transitioned over the walleye side is the Ned Rig or the drop shot. I mean, those have been around in bass angling forever, and those are things that were just you know really. I mean, when we were up at Lake of, or Devil's Lake. I mean, that's one of the things I did the whole time there is drop shot. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very easy way to fish walleyes. The bait's always in the strike zone. Yeah, I couldn't tell how many walleye I've caught on Oneida over here in New York on a football jig and a Ned rig. It's, I mean, you you double up on walleyes with an A rig out there. Yeah. It's crazy. 
But right, when you look at the opposite, where you can take a lot of walleye baits that have been around forever and, and we overlook them anymore, you know, like the ice jig or like moping or, you know, things like that, that we've been doing in our industry so long. And it works on the walleye side or on the bass side. Mm-hmm. Right. And a thousand percent. Um, yeah, the, the names you mentioned, I couldn't imagine the amount of stories and history just for those, those guys' names you mentioned are at a round table. I would love to just be there with a, a whiskey and listen oh, yeah. away. Don't even say anything. Just let them talk. Hank Parker's another one that I've, I've had the opportunity to spend time with. And I mean, it's just amazing the knowledge these guys got. And just think of how good anglers they would have been if they had the technology that we have as anglers now. Oh, right. You know? Yeah. There's very few anglers that I'm ever starstruck by, but this past year at the Bassmaster Classic, you know, my first year working with gunpowder and coming down the, you know, the hotel elevator and the first person I walk out into and he, I don't even say anything. He introduces himself to me with Hank Parker. And I was like, this isn't I'm like pinching myself. Like this isn't <laughs> happening. Wait, what is going I'm talking to Hank Parker. Like the guy I've watched my entire life. It's, it's crazy in something like that where you, you think as, a, as somebody who's never been to an event like that, that fishing's this massive thing and it's expansive. These people are legends, which they are. But, like, you go to an event like that and, like, it's not as big as you realize because, I mean, but they don't make you feel like it's big. They make you think it's very small, tight-knit just because all those guys are awesome and they'll, they'll sit the, take the time to talk to you. Like I saw Hank take, like, 35 minutes to talk to a little kid about any other question he had for fishing. He would never – push anyone off or anything like that. He'll sit and talk all day long. He's been doing that probably longer than, than it's the love of the outdoors. That's you said it right. You know, it's the love of the outdoors and the passion for the sport. And I think that's something we all have and that's why we do what we do. But right. I mean, you know, it's so fun to sit down and talk to those guys about different things. You know, I mean, it, it can be hunting and Hank's a big hunter, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, it's those types of things that I think we're all just addicted to the outdoors and have a passion for. I love going to sports shows and love going and doing seminars and educating people. There's nothing more I loved than on my salmon boat, watching people catch the biggest fish of their life. You know, I mean, it's, it's fun to see people do those types of things. Yeah. And I think that's why Andy over here is going to make a really good guide and why he's off to such a good start is because Andy giggles like a little kid when he catches the fish. But when he sees other people catch fish, he's like, he can't contain himself. So that's why oh, I think I that's it. why he makes a great guy. Or yeah. when Bailey trips over the players on my front deck and goes headfirst into my motor. <laughs> and a complete swan dive. <laughs> I'll have to say, I don't know if you've seen that, Mark, but if you haven't, I'll send that to you. Yeah. It's, I, I get a whole close-up of me hitting toe first against the flyers on his Triton, and I just trip my way back to the boat and literally just Crown of my head to his motor. It was, Did you get, it was the whole boat kind of shifts, and I I straight up like belly laugh. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I, Did you get that I did that. That is wicked. Hold on, I'll see if I can pull it up here for the screen. Oh man, just straight belly laugh. Let's see. Oh yeah. Oh, there's the whole shadow of that thing tracking it. That's crazy. That, that's wicked, and it's crazy how detailed that is. You can see it all the way that's through. That's a big shark. Small. That's like a fifteen foot shark. Yeah, they aren't small. Like I said, I mean, <laughs> you're looking at saltwater crocs. You're looking at alligators. I mean, you're looking at everything. And I mean, it's just like I'm not even touching the water. I mean, yeah. like when you get your hands on a fish, you just get your hands on it, unhook it, and get it out of there. 
Uh, there's there's like the guys. Uh, my grandparents live close to Boca Grande. In yeah. Florida, and we'll go down, and there's you see shows or guys that you know will walk out there, walk their tarpon out, catch them from the beach, and they'll walk them out. And I'm like, I ain't doing that crap. Or guys along the boat that are holding it by the mouth as they're like reviving it. And, and there's like, the hammerheads. No. I mean, there's everything. I mean, it's it's well, it has, has to be at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that. The Shark Week show, like they when they talk about old Hitler, the legend of Boca Grande, and like that kills basically every tarpon through that past. Like that is some of the coolest history. And you hear guys like legitimately guys talk about it. They're yeah. like, yeah, and, like a bunch of people seen him, like because he takes tarpon from people. It, it's that's a crazy thing. I, I've never actually experienced it. And for the sake of the tarpon, I hope I don't. But that's like, yeah, I wouldn't True. complain if I ever saw that. I mean, we've literally been catching tuna and watched hammerheads come up. And, I mean, they make quick work of an 80-pound amberjack as you're trying oh, to, you know, yeah. get it up to the One surface. Bite. And then, freaking, as you pull away, going 20 miles an hour, they're just following you to the next spot. That's insane. Yeah. It's kind of eerie. Like, it's kind of like. see them on the side scan. <laughs> oh, it, you, no, you just see them over the side. I mean, they just swim with you like dolphins. You're like, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, we gotta, we gotta run. We gotta make a real run. <laughs> Two hours later, there yeah. he is again. <laughs> yeah. Cue the jaw music. It's just a fun industry to be a part of. And it's, I mean, the people you meet, you know, I mean, we all have something in common. We love tug is the drug and, and we're all just involved in the outdoors and it's fun to talk to somebody, you know, like Andrew, that is a stream guy. You know, I enjoy that because it all relates. I mean, ultimately it all relates. I mean, current seams and, and reading the water, um, whether you're just running up a river trying to read the water, you know, I mean, that's a, that's another whole aspect to talk about. I mean, you know, not putting your boat on the rocks and understanding what is rocks and what's current and where the deep water is and where those fish are relating to and things like that. So it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It gets even trickier when the water gets stained. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, heck yeah. Well, Mark, dude, uh, seriously, thank you for taking the time thank out you. tonight. It's uh, it's been a pleasure to chat with you and it was good learn more here. about this absolutely. multi-species topic. And it, uh, I think the viewers are gonna eat this one up. And uh, I'm sure you'll be back on the show real soon. No, absolutely, guys. Enjoy your evening and enjoy your uh, fishing outing this weekend. And when is that Derby in Dunkirk? Uh, it's going to be in the end of August. Awesome. Yeah. You, are you going to stick around Buffalo for a little bit after that? I might. Go, I might. Yeah, a good friend of mine lives up that way, uh, Todd Frank. Um, lives know. up that way. He used to fish, and now he works for a Rasset Outdoor Group. But, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. So I, we're here in Buffalo. I fish Erie a ton, so I yeah. can – Maybe you can show you around. Me and yeah. Bailey can show you around stuff. Yeah, just some big smallmouth if you if you're up to it. After I'm all about it. I love yeah. catching big smallmouth. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to. I want a walleye tournament out there on the, the river. On the lower. They yeah. Did on one, the what two? I think in 2006 the they did one on the lower Niagara Lake, Ontario. The yeah. MWT. But where the the elites are going, I think that would just be freaking. I mean. I talked to all those guys out there after they get done out there, and they're like, giant the walleyes we caught are incredible. It'd be a great location to come. Yeah, my my end of Lake Ontario has a lot of 10 to 12-pound fish. Yeah, in Bay of Quinney, I mean, you know, there's another place, I mean, that's just loaded with giant walleyes. So. Yeah. yeah. You no. Have you ever been to Oneida? 
No, I have not. You would love Oneida because they just did like a, they came out of the recent study, like what was it Andrew, like a month or two months ago? There's like over a million walleye in Oneida, and it's not a big lake. Like you go there, and if you well, no, it doesn't matter if you're skipping a dock, you're throwing a top water, you're throwing a jerk bait, and you're going to catch walleye. Throwing, you will run into a few walleye every time you're there, more than bass. That's awesome. I, I know a guy who goes out there and uh, rips jigs for him in the summertime because he just catches and eats them like crazy. He'll catch 30, 40 a night in like two and a half hours. That's fun. And yeah. they're not skinny. They are pot bellies. Like they're eating good. And they they're, actually all, they're all 18 yeah. to 22 inches. Every That's one of them. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, good stuff, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously we'll be in touch, dude. And uh, if you know, when it comes around next summer, we'll get you, we'll get you out here, but either way, uh, stay in touch, boss, and uh, thank you for coming on the show. Sounds good, guys. Have a great evening. Have a good you too, one. Mark. Take care. Dude, it's such an interesting topic to correlate. Not just bass, but like fishing in general, Everything. Too, whether yeah. it's deer or amongst different uh, species. Like it's it's a really cool conversation to have. I, like, I it's crazy how it. some small, minute differences can help you big time in another facet of fishing. 100%. It. It's kind of crazy because Uh-oh. moon cycles, like we don't think of moon cycles as anything crazy like the norm, ordinary person. But if you look at it this way, how many people go crazy during a full moon? How many people go crazy? Like, like go to a retail store during a full moon cycle and watch the mannerisms of adults. Do you, do you just do this and like not tell anyone about it? you just go sit at a no. Walmart with a lawn chair and watch? No, I worked I worked at a bank for four years and I was in retail for eight. And we always were like, oh, it's gotta be a full moon week because the attitudes of people just change. Is that seriously a correlation? One hundred percent. It's a moon what? cycle correlation. One hundred percent. Oh my god! Like it's three days before, and like two to three days after, people are just completely different. That's wicked. No, I haven't seen. It. You're gonna have to remind me when it's a full moon. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So just speaking of full moons, dude, I need to take you night fishing this year. I used to night fish all the time for salmon. It no bass. Oh yeah, let's do it. I told late you late summer, summer, like late summer when stuff sucks, the night fishing is really good. Yeah, we'll have to do it. That'd be a, a fun one fun. to film. We won't see anything, but I, I got something in store that we can have for the folks coming up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's wicked. But dude, that was wicked. And thank you, Mark, for yeah. taking time to come on. It was a uh, Mark's been somebody in the industry I've gotten the privilege to become friends with, um, and obviously learn a lot from. Not just from the show here, but being yeah. able to. And he's a really good dude. Like all of his social media is down below. He is willing to answer any of your questions and reach out and chat. Uh, so and I apologize to... if I overstep my boundaries by inviting him to fish a couple days in August. No, ah, you wouldn't be overstepping any. He's game all the time. Yeah, I, I could tell. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. oh, this would be fun. No, no, no. You're never overstepping. You invite everybody that comes on this damn show. It doesn't matter. Let's go fishing. <laughs> Let's just go fishing, man. Everyone's got to go fishing. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, for people who do want to go fishing, um, what do you have any opening days coming up for steelhead bass anything a lot so a book lot. a trip so book a trip there you go all the days book all, all the, the days. days and i believe no, I mean, you're booking like, ahead to the spring aren't you i am so if guys want to get in now for trophy bass fishing like 
I'm only booking May because I, I never know what April looks like. Every year is different. Some years we have ice till the first week of May. Some years we have no ice come April. So I won't start offering April trips until I know what the ice situation will be. But um, starting the first weekend of May, I've already booked, I think, nine or ten days next spring. So if you want to go and plan your trip, now is the time. I'm accepting deposits for that. Um, and yeah, it's going to be a good summer. Heck yeah, dude. Well, folks, uh, Andrew's email, uh, we got to get your website down in the description. Um, but folks, you guys can get in touch with Andy on his social media and his email. All of that is below in the show description for YouTube and MP3. Uh, so get in touch with him. Uh, and if you need a recommendation of what Andrew's like, just call Joe LaBarbera. He'll tell you about it for like three hours. <laughs> yeah, but that, man, that's man. all serious but it is a crack at joe because we like to mess with joe but that is serious like joe is a really good dude and he has high praise so andrew you've been killing it so keep that up dude and uh you better keep it up for tomorrow because we have a lot of filming to do yeah but it's probably going to be the most fun filming we've i'm, I'm, I'm glad i'm glad i'm feeling better so it would have been rough if i was still like dying like i was yesterday but um to get into jolly spirit, it'll be yeah. <laughs> it's it's just gonna be. I hope people enjoy this as much as Andrew and I are excited about filming it because it's just gonna be fun. It's gonna be creative. It's gonna be. Uh, it's just gonna be a fun little play that we can do. And uh, yeah, some big stuff in store. And speaking of big stuff in store, we got a lot of big stuff in store for 2022, which we are really excited about. We're in the midst of building. We're in the heat of it building out uh what's going to happen for this podcast for 2022 and uh it's cool to see everyone who can stick with us through all the different adjustments we've been making because everything we're doing is trying to make this thing better so we appreciate everyone that sticks by us day by day and especially the people that give us feedback uh whether it's dming us about shows they like things that we do well you know youtube comments uh, and even the people that leave you know reviews and ratings on the MP3 platforms that they listen on, especially, you know, our biggest one by over like 70 something percent is our folks over at Apple podcasts. So if you guys are listening on Apple uh, and if you haven't yet, we'd really appreciate if you guys could leave us a rating and review because that hugely helps us get known about. And that gets us more exposure, which means we can give back to you guys even more. So if you can get, hugely help us out there, that would be awesome. And uh huge shout out to our dude. I know he had a rough day today, but one of our buddies over, at uh, Hellabass, Mr. Rich Lindgren had a pretty good showing down at the uh, national. Did he make the top ten? That's actually I a great be- question. I, I know he said he, he, the- he said himself that he sucked today, but I believe he, he made the top ten. Hold on, let me check because if he made the top ten, then he he's fishing today. Yep, he's fishing as we yeah. as you guys are tuning in. Let me double check it here. But yeah, so Andrew and I have some very fun, creative filming to do, whether on the boat. Well, on the boat, but also I'm going to do some kayak stuff because I know people enjoy the kayak content, which I'm going to pick up my new Hobie here soon. Uh, 18th. For he finished 18th. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. But e- either way, huge shout-out just for making it, Rich, and uh, good job, dude. Yeah. You used top, you're six going into day two. So that place is tough, from, oh, yeah. obviously. from <laughs> River systems in the fall down south, just no, not good. Yeah, pass. No, thanks. But, Andy, anything else for the folks? Um, at this moment, I am 
just stay tuned to the Serious Angler YouTube page. That's the biggest thing. There's a lot of fun stuff coming. Yeah. So I guess to close out, uh, as another reminder, if you missed it in the introduction, you're still somehow listening right now. Uh, use code Serious35 at Hobie Eyewear to get in on that 35% uh, discount. That ends on November 14th. It ends on November 14th. So that uh, gives you nine days. Nope. Ten, 10 days. Well, nope. nine. As you're listening, days. nine. Yes. As you're yes. listening, nine. But uh, also for folks that have fishy friends, whether it's husbands, daughters, cousins, whom the Brothers, other, nieces, nephews, uncles, head over aunts, to, uh, Yeah. Head over to Queen Tackle, especially if they like throwing a jig or they need some tungsten, flipping weights, drop shot weights, you know, shaky heads, whatever the heck. Go over to Queen All Tackle and use our code over there. It's linked down in the description. Save yourself 20% off of your order. We have a whole array of discounts hopefully coming for 2022, <laughs> but we do have discounts for you guys down below that you guys can take advantage of and use for some Christmas presents and save yourself some money. So the money you do save, you can buy yourself fishing stuff. Yes. Lawyered. <laughs> well, folks, uh, without further ado, we are going to call it a night. We'll see you guys on Monday Night Live. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.